And we'll go to the book of Romans, please. The book of Romans. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you know you're born again. You know that you're a child of God. Uh, you know you're saved. Nobody's going to shake you on that. Uh, sometimes I get to passages of the scripture, and the scripture is dealing with the lost. Uh, Romans chapter 3, in fact, chapters 1, 2, and 3 has been really dealing with lo the lost people. And it was great we had one person saved uh, two weeks ago in our service as a result of preaching from this passage. Uh, today's no different. Uh, today I'm going to preach a message that's called The World Guilty is Charged. Guilty is Charged. You know, we've been looking through these first three chapters, and really what it is, it's God convincing different groups that they're just guilty. Uh, the first one is the one that just refuses righteousness altogether. They just don't believe they need to do right. I don't need to try to do right. I can live life the way I want. And of course, we know by, the Bible says he ultimately gives them over to reprobate mind. But judgment falls. The next group was the moralist. It's those that perhaps maybe aren't religious, but they just feel they're good people. And they judge, judge other people for not being as good as they are. And God just says, no, I'm going to judge you too, because you've fallen short. The third group we've looked at was the religionist. Those that make an outward show of religion as the basis for their merit before God. And God says, no, you need to understand that your outward show has no impact on your future destination. And so guilty. Then we looked through a couple of messages where we, we started looking at some questions that the, the religious ones, or the Jews specifically, would give, saying, well, then what advantage then hath a Jew? Why is it advantageous to be brought up in a religious home, in a a Jewish home. And the Apostle Paul answered that by, well, to you is committed the oracles of God. I mean, you were to bring, you were to accentuate the word of God to mankind. I think you can relate that same truth to Christians in the church today. Your real goal is to accentuate what the Bible says. You're not supposed to bring a black mark upon the word of God. It says it over and over, not to blaspheme the word of God, because that's all people have to go by. It's the only thing that is solid, the only thing that is unchanging. It's the only thing that will show them salvation is the word of God. We have one last question here that I need to address, and then we'll be hopping off into the subject of dealing with the world in general. In verse number five, it says this, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I judged, uh, also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, as, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. Now this passage here, I want to just take this and explain this to you. This is the third question that is posed to us by an unrepentant, self-righteous person and presenting a justification as to why it is that I can continue in my sin and why should I be judged for it? Now the world is full of this. Like, what kind of God would judge that? A loving God wouldn't send someone to hell. Well, the Apostle Paul says, God forbid. That just means, no. God is not unrighteous to judge you. Um, he requires righteousness, and his righteousness requires judgment. And so he wouldn't be a righteous God if he didn't judge. Uh, we know that he will. In Jude 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all 
and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. You see a lot of this on the news. A lot of people, they pipe off pretty strong on the news because they know they got a big following behind them. And they're trying to impress these people in this group, whether it's against abortion or, or whether it's for abortion or for the whole woke thing that's going on today. Uh, they're very brash. <laughs> Great swelling words, you know. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord will come and he's going to judge all the ungodly with all the ungodly deeds. For all the ungodly things that they've done and they've said, it has to come into judgment. And that doesn't make God unrighteous. That's because he is righteous. So the question is, why should I be judged if my sin enhances God's righteousness? Did you know that because you're a sinner, you make God look good? You understand that? (laughs) So in other words, because I'm in need of forgiveness, it accentuates the fact that God is a forgiver. It tells us how much he loves us by sending his son. And so they're saying, well, if my sin makes makes him look so good, then why should I be judged? (laughs) Now that's just a backward reasoning. (laughs) And really just a justification to continue on in sin. Instead of seeing exactly why Jesus had to die. So he says, for if the truth of God hath abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? So that's why the Bible says you can't go against the truth. It's interesting when people do evil things, all it does is make the truth come more clearly. It's true. It doesn't matter what position you take, but if you take a position against truth and and, and for sin, as much as you're trying to destroy the truth and destroy righteousness, it actually just accentuates the fact that the truth is the truth and, and you're being nailed. I mean, you're, you've already been exposed. The Bible says they went out from us because they were not of us. And they went out from us that it may be made manifest that they were not of us. So somebody would say, well, I'm just going to leave. And then they'd say, well, all you're doing is proving the truth. You're proving to everybody that you're not of us and that's why you're going. But that's not not good enough because I need to reach in and pull people out with me. Well, then you're just proving that they're not of us. So no matter what you do, there's no way you can fight the truth. (laughs) The truth will always be the truth and your lies will never overpower the truth. And you will be guilty at the end. And yes, there will be judgment. There will be judgment but you can't fight the truth. So the question is, if that's true, then why should I be judged? (sighs) Because with Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, it's just not a matter of love. It's a matter of holiness. It's a matter of justice. If if God could just simply not judge you because you're helping him look good, (laughs) then why did Jesus have to suffer the way he did? Holiness and love met in the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. And justice was met upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He experienced the judgment of your life when he died upon that cross. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. Psalm 85, 9, it says, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So in Jesus Christ, these two things that seemingly seem opposite, love and holiness, truth and righteousness, or truth and righteousness, or, or, or mercy and truth, they've met each other. There would be no mercy if Jesus Christ wouldn't have died for you. He was the expression of God's mercy towards you. 
So that's not a reason for us now to say because, you, uh, you know, I, I've made you look good in your mercy that somehow I shouldn't be judged. Well, if that were the case, then Jesus wouldn't have died. And you would have never even understood his mercy. <laughs> the only way you know God's mercy is because he had to extend it towards you. And so holiness and justice met on the cross. He had to pour his wrath upon his son. There's never a time where you can say, oh, I just won't judge. No, he will. He has to. And that's why those of us that have put our faith in Christ and we're born again and we get placed into Christ, the wrath of God has already poured upon you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says that if you're saved, that you've been baptized into his death, not by water, but spiritually when you receive Christ as your Savior, you were placed into Jesus pre-death. So that when the Father looked at his son dying, he saw you. That's why your payment is paid. Amen. If you wouldn't be in Christ, how could he see that your payment is paid? You still have a payment that needs to be paid. That's why a lot of these folks that believe you can lose your salvation. <laughs> folks, I'm going to tell you something. How is it that you can go twice into the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. <laughs> one time you're placed into Christ. And the Bible says if you could, if, if, if you could, uh, I'm trying to remember in Hebrews chapter 6. It says if you could... <laughs> Somebody help me out. <laughs> Somebody know that verse by, uh, by heart. I used to. But it talks about being removed from the grace or the enlightenment of that grace, tasted of the heavenly gift. It's, it's impossible for you to be renewed once again unto repentance. So that means if you could actually lose your salvation, you could never be saved again. It says, because they crucify Christ afresh and bring him to open shame. In other words, the attack isn't on you. You never deserve to be saved. You were never good enough to be saved. And you surely weren't good enough to stay saved. It was all about Christ. Amen. So if somehow you lose it, it's his fault. He's got to come back and he's got to do it again. And that's why it says he did it once for all. And so if you could lose it, you could never be renewed again unto repentance because he would have to come again and you would have to re-enter the body of Christ at the cross so that that payment would be complete. Amen? One baptism, one time placed into Christ, one death, burial, resurrection, one sacrifice for all. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. If that's not enough for you, then you're lost. Oh, by the way, if that were true, there wouldn't be a saved person in this room. Not one. You would have lost it the minute after you got saved. <laughs> Probably. Or at least the same day. Mercy and truth are met together. So he needs a judge. So judgment was on Jesus Christ so those of us that are born again can escape that wrath. Never to have to experience that wrath. What a blessing that is. But those that choose to meet God on their own merit, those that choose to meet God on their own righteousness, they will have to experience the wrath that we're talking about here. They're the ones that are justifying. So evil does not bring good. God is good. He's always been good. And your evil didn't make him good. It just caused you to see that he's good. Amen. You just saw his mercy. You saw his love. You saw his holiness. You saw all these things because of what you were. But he's always been these things. Amen. So we move on to this next <clears throat> section here where it's talking about the universal guilt of mankind. This is something the world does not want to hear, but this is it. This is it. The first thing we see here in Romans 3, verse 9, it says, What then? 
are we better than they? The Apostle Paul is putting himself in the position of the Jew. Is the Jew better than the Gentile? Now, when you're talking about the Gentile here, you're not just talking about someone that isn't a Jew. That when they mention Gentile, they're talking about idol worshipers. They're talking about people that have false gods. I mean, I mean, nowadays, gods aren't so prevalent. I mean, they're getting more. You're starting to see them more in the city. You go by somebody's yard, they have a little idol in the front yard. But that, that's not a very common thing. It never has been in our society. But in the first century, they would have temples of idols right beside their, in their neighborhood. <laughs> you know, all over the place. And so, when you said someone was a Gentile, you're saying that's what they are. They're false God worshipers. And so are we, as Jews that have an outward show of religion, are we better than they? No, he says. And no wise. For we before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. There's no way that one person, no matter how religious, is better than another no matter how unrighteous they are. I mean, we like to think that way. You say, well, I'd make better decisions. Sure you are, but in the big scheme of things, looking at the, at the guilt of God, it's the same. I always say, you know, if there's a measuring stick that's this high and the top is God and we're at the bottom, we're just measuring ourselves on the bottom half inch. I'm better than you or you're better than me. <laughs> Well, the focus here isn't me against you. The focus is us against him. So we're not better. The word sin here is hemarchia. That's where they have the doctrine of sin, which is hemartiology, the doctrine of sin, which really just means to miss the mark. So have you missed the mark? What is the mark? Well, God... (laughs) Holiness, perfection, no sin. <laughs> it's like I say, if we're aiming at a, a target with a bow and arrow, and maybe I'm a little better or a little worse than you are, it doesn't really matter. I can miss the target by an inch. Maybe you miss it by three inches. We've got another guy that misses it by a millimeter. It doesn't really matter. We've all missed the mark. The Bible's saying not one of us has hit the bullseye. So are we better? No. No. <laughs> And notice the, the, the phrase here talks about that they are all under sin. So sin's on top of you. <laughs> Have you ever been pinned underneath something that's heavier than you and you couldn't get it off, which means that you couldn't move it? That's what it means to be under sin. Sin has you pinned down. <laughs> and it's heavier than you and there's no way you can remove that sin. There's nothing you can do to take the sin away from yourself. We are all under sin, Jew or Gentile. We're all underneath the weight of that sin. Whether you're religious or churchgoer or heathen idol worshiper, we're all under sin. 1 Kings 8.46, if they sin against thee, it says, and then brackets it says, for there is no man that sinneth not. (laughs) They got it right in the Old Testament. There's no man that has not sinned other than Jesus Christ. So all races are guilty. All races, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter what country you're from, doesn't matter how civilized they are, doesn't matter how much money they've got, (laughs) doesn't matter how educated they are, they're all under the weight of that sin. Not only that, the religious are guilty. Notice in this next passage, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. But you know what the interesting thing is when I talk to people? They all proclaim their own goodness. If I go knock on a door, rarely, if ever, have I had somebody tell me, you know what, I'm not good at all. Usually, they proclaim some aspect of their life as good. I've even had atheists, they proclaim that what they did good is they read the Bible through. <laughs> I've read the Bible. <laughs> the problem is the Bible didn't read you. The Bible didn't reveal you. 
got to look at it the right way. I mean, I just met someone recently in our soul winning time, and they were telling me about how they read the Bible through the King James Bible. <laughs> have you? <laughs> like, like, it doesn't matter if I have or haven't, but yes, I have. You know, and then I just thought, you know, I, I could have really had a good argument there, but I, I didn't choose to go that way. But I just thought, what a man to go to this book to try to find God unrighteous, to blame God. God help you. Just digging through this book, just to find something that I can blame God for. Just something that I can say about God that makes him look bad. Yet they're good. We're good. The Bible says, Every man proclaimeth his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. <laughs> I'm not so bad. Yes, you are. You're pretty bad. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. None of us here can say that. And so, none righteous in character or act. None that are innocent. None that are holy. There's none that understandeth. This word understandeth means to put together. Nobody has put it together. <laughs> man, you ever thought about that? All the people you talk to, as smart as they are, they are smart, man. They, they are just so witty and so smart, and yet not one of them has put it together. None that understandeth. If it wouldn't be for God uh, coming into your life and showing you the truth from the Word of God, you certainly would not have put it together. In fact, what they do is they make up stories about creation and what this is and all that evolution. That's somebody that is not understanding. They don't put it together. You know, the three major questions that every man has. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And it's amazing. This whole world without Christ cannot answer those three questions. So there's none that understand it. No, not one. You say, well, I understand now, preacher. I know that's because of God. <laughs> you understand now because of what God has done in your life. Because you're born again. Because he's opened up your eyes. Because his spirit's within you. But you can't take credit for that. In your base nature as to what you are, there's nothing better about you than there is about that heathen that is bowing down to that idol. And there's something good in you. It's simply what Jesus put in you and has nothing to do with you. I hope we can get that straight. Because as long as you think there's something good about you, you're not going to be used by God very much. The Bible says you've got to be humble before God. Oh, by the way, humble before God means before God. Some people, they put scratches on their car. They don't paint their house. They don't do this because they want to seem humble. The Bible never tells you to be humble before man. It says that you are supposed to be lowly before your God. And I'll tell you something, that will be seen in your daily life. Because when you're lowly before God, that's when you're by yourself, on your knees, in your closet, where nobody is seeing you, nobody's looking at you, and you are being very real about how you feel about yourself before the God that created you. A lot of people can put on a show in front of people that was pharisaical. They would disfigure their faces. They would make themselves look like they fasted and prayed. They would uh, speak in the streets and they would pray very loud so everybody could hear them. But folks, have you ever been in your, by yourself in your room where nobody could see you and you've expressed yourself to God saying, God, I am nothing. I need you, Lord. Now, if you never have, then you're not humble. <laughs> well, everybody thinks I am. <laughs> well, everybody's wrong. <laughs> everybody thought the Pharisees were a real religious group. They thought, well, oh, these guys got it. In fact, the word Pharisee means the separated ones. And sad to say, it's more about, <laughs> to, to the religious crowd, it's more about what people see you to be than really what you really are. Like that one man, I asked him, I said, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, 
that you may know you have eternal life. I said, do you know you have eternal life? He says, well, when I was young, I probably wouldn't have known. But now I do. Now, he, he, he's not thinking the way I'm thinking today. <laughs> he's a works-based believer. So what he's saying is, when I was young and stupid, I wouldn't know that I was saved because I wasn't doing everything right. But now that I'm older and mature and more spiritual, I'm doing things better. <laughs> and so now I know based on my performance. Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you something. That's one person that's not on his knees before God saying, Lord, I'm a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. I don't know how you could use me. I don't care if you've been saved 40, 50, 60, 70 years. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. There's never a time where you can get off of those knees and say, God, I'm something. Every day you go before him and say, Lord, I am nothing. There's nothing in me that's worth spit, God. If you're not going to do this, I can do nothing. Lord, I need you today. If you're not going to help me with my family, I can't be a father. I can't be a husband. It's not the books you read. It's not the experience you have. It's because God is in you. Because God is helping you. And unless you can humble yourself before him and see yourself as nothing, you'll never be anything. You understand that? Because God will never share his glory with a man. Oh, I'm a good dad. No, you're not. You're not a good dad. As you humble yourself before your God, Say, Lord, I need to be a father. He says, you just follow my book. You just do what the Bible says, and everything will fall into place. So I can never say, I am a good one. But I can say, God, thank you for guiding me. Because if I wouldn't have your word, I would have destroyed my family. Just like the world is destroying their families. You understand that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth, that put it together. You didn't understand Dr. Spock or whatever books, they self-help books, they, they got it all figured out. They got nothing figured out. They don't have a clue what it takes to have a family that glorifies God. And we don't either. That's why we have to be in a constant state of submission to God. A constant state of consecration to Him. Submitting, never thinking that somehow we're something. The moment you think you're something is the moment he says, I can't use you. You're glorifying yourself. None that seeketh after God. That means investigate, scrutinize. Like I said, I've had people read the Bible, they're trying to find blame in God. They're trying to attack God. They're trying to find excuses why I continue in my sin. Why, why I don't even have to call it sin. It's like it's just normal. This is just natural life. No. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why I say don't make education your God. <laughs> you know, there's some people that will put their education above going to church. So well, isn't that normal? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Your children's relationship with God is the most important thing in their life. How smart they are, how much money they have, all of that burns, my friend. But now, ho, oh, we're living in such bad times, folks. Jesus Christ says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He wasn't making much of money and career and all these different things. Now I'm saying go work and yes, get your education, but never sell out on God for it. That, my friend, is worth nothing compared to what you can do with God. But time after time, I have people walking away from God because, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that and I got to go to school. And I gotta... No, you don't. If going to school means that you had to walk away from the house of God, that, my friend, was not the will of God for your life. 
There's a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says there's a prize for you if you follow that calling. But you can be sure the devil's calling too. He's got a lot of low callings. He's saying, hey, why don't you come over here for a while? All he wants to do is get you away from the influence of the Word of God. You say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. All I can do, I can read my Bible. I don't need a preacher. I'm going to tell you something. Preaching and reading your Bible are two different things. You can't live without the preaching of God's word. You need a leather lung preacher to lift up his voice and break through that hard heart of yours and hit you between the eyes and tell you things that you don't want to hear just so you can say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Otherwise, all you'll do is read through this book trying to affirm your decisions. Amen. (laughs) At least the Lord will give you a preacher. They won't be scared that you'll get mad at them for telling you the truth. Because <laughs> if you've got a preacher that is concerned about that, then you need to find another church. Because <laughs> you need preaching. And the Bible says that the children of God love the preaching of the Word of God. Well, I don't like preaching. You need to get right with God. <laughs> you really do. You go home and complain about the preaching. You just simply need to get right with God. You need to get on your knees before God and confess of the wickedness of your heart. Because the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching. And I understand I look like a fool sometimes. I'm a spitting and I'm stomping and I'm jumping. I'm doing this, that, and the other. You say, preacher, is that preaching? Well, it's supposed to be foolishness. That's so you can glorify the wisdom of God. Amen. All have gone out of the way. We've all deviated. We've all avoided our responsibility to God. We excuse God, bent towards sin and perversion. Proverbs 21, 16 says, A man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Wow. Wow. Oh, I hope there's nobody here today that's lost. All I know is if you're here this morning, you didn't wander away too far. You got to the right place. Something's going right there. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of people. I remember going to a door this last week, and on the, on the window was a uh, little sign that says, Not all witches were in Salem. So I knew I was going to open that door, a witch was going to open up that door. And sure enough, it was. I just introduced myself, and before I could get it out, not interested, bam! Had the black nails and the black eyes and the black hair and the black clothes and the black black and just black. Voiding it. Voiding it. Had another lady, and I just, we were, me and my daughter Vivian were out this last week and knocked at a door, and, and I, I wasn't didn't know exactly what to make of it, but knocked on the door and the lady answered. I could see there was tattoos on the arm and, and so forth. But when we asked about salvation, you could see that her, the wheels, it was just like something was just turning and I didn't understand what was, what was happening. And I just, I just got led to ask her, say, would, would you like me to explain this further to you? She just looked at me. You could see there was a hesitancy and she looked behind the door and she said, I'm thinking about it. But you could see the symbols on the arm. No different than that other door. God's getting in there. See, sometimes people avoid God. They've gone out of the way, and sometimes God just grabs that heart and draws them. And I could just sense that God was just pulling at this person. And we've been praying for her. We will go back and see if she'll be saved. The Bible says all become unprofitable. It just means useless. We've all been rendered unserviceable. It says, ye are the salt of the earth, and if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. Luke 9.25 says, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? Or be cast away. Unprofitable. 
so many people, they put such weight in the things of this world and the money and the, the careers. And I'm for careers and I want my children to have careers if that's God's will for their life and so forth. But I would never condone a career over God. Never. I'd rather be a pauper. I'd rather be in the poor house. I'd rather have no money in the bank instead of sacrificing my relationship with the Lord and so forth. And the Bible says that there's, there's no advantage if you've gained everything this world had to offer and you lost yourself. Amen. It's the most important thing that God, what God is doing in your heart. People ask me, they say, you know, over 20 years of pastoring, well, God must have taught you a lot of things. And I said, well, probably, but the one thing is the most important thing is the thing that God is doing in my heart. All those years. It's not about the knowledge of the Bible. It's not about all the principles and the times you preach and all the great things you saw. When it comes down to it, the greatest thing that God's ever done for me is what he's done in my soul. And the things that he's taught me personally and helped me to become with his power and strength. And I realize if I, it's so easy to lose that stuff. It's like I would never have it. Apostle Paul, he said that was the one fear he had. You know, lest that would he preached to others, that he himself would become a castaway. You think, well, Paul, he wouldn't be a castaway. Yes, he can. Everyone here can. I don't care how many times you've been to church, you can be in church your whole life. And there's some people here, you may be dangerously close to being a castaway. Where God just saying, I'm going to put you on a shelf. I can't use you. You've rendered yourself profitless and unserviceable. Amen. None that do with good. No moral excellence. Character. Gentleness, goodness, kindness. You know, sometimes I pray, Lord, I'd like to be more kind. Help me to be kind. And it just seems like such a hard thing just to be kind all the time. Because you go through so many things, you know. It's the hardest thing to be kind all the time. The revealing of man's guilt, you see in this passage, it says in Romans 3.13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You think about that throat comment. And is an, is an open sepulcher. <laughs> the throat is the port down that leads to the mouth. <laughs> So it's saying your throat is like an open grave. It's like a grave that hasn't been sealed up. And so everything in there that's rotting and corrupt is coming out of that throat and touching your tongue and it's being thrust upon other people and it's, it's spewing poison and corruptness and filth and stink in the lives of others. All because that open sepulcher, that heart that's not been regenerated, that heart that doesn't have Christ in it, that heart that's not been uh, surrendered to God and, and totally given over to the love of God. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. The stink of death so many times even corrupts those that hear their voice, filthy talking, mocking good and right things. You know, I tell our kids all the time, it's so easy to get involved in a conversation on the job or especially in the construction field or whatever and have people spewing filth out. And I said, never think that's a normal thing. That's never something you have to accept simply because, oh, well, this is just the way it is in the world or this is just a construction. And no, no, what you ought to say is just, I don't want to hear that. Close that grave. <laughs> That's what you need to tell them. It says, your, your mouth, your throat is like an open grave. That'll straighten them out. 
filthy jokes and filthy talking. It's just a, uh, an expression of an unregenerate heart. You've got to be careful, Christians, because even you, if you're not going to stand against it, you may also find some of those words finding their way being corrupted by the words that come to you. And also you find them going back. That's why you keep away from that filth. Speech talks about a tongue, deceitful, lying, cheating, misleading, treacherous, beguiling, deluding, flattering, smooth talking. Boy, that tongue can do a lot of damage. Talks about lips with poison under the lips. Gossip, lips that strike out, spreads venom. It poisons people's character. It poisons people's reputations. It desires to cause suffering. That comes from that grave. I think that's pretty accurate. That's you without Christ. Every one of you. And me too, without Christ. Colossians 3, 8, it says, But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Child of God, you ought never have filthy garbage coming out of your mouth. Proverbs 12, 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Psalm 143, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Boy, I tell you, when people start getting their tongues sharpened, the damage they can do. It's probably the most wicked weapon in the church today is the tongue. Really is. It hurts, hurts more people. We can just shut our mouths. You know, we just close up that grave, you know. It talks about their feet are swift to shed blood, just like the first son and sons that were born to man after Adam and Eve, Cain. What did he do? ran to kill his brother, swift to shed blood. Our hearts are filled with anger and bitterness. Can you imagine if the Lord would have allowed us to be born with no light? Because this is the argument again. I remember I had one young man ask me one time when I was way early and I was in Bible college, what do you mean there's none good? People do good. (laughs) People do good. And I was just saying, wow, you don't understand. In your base nature, in what you are as a sinner, if you would have been born as bad as you are, you would be the most filthy, despicable person on this planet. You would have probably been born a homosexual as well because the Bible says he gives you over to reprobate mind that means if you started in a position where you were given some light and then God says I'm going to withdraw myself from you that means you can be worse than what you are now my question is is how did you get to that point well the Bible says that he lighteth every man that cometh into the world You know that even the ability you have to even choose the gospel was given to you by God before you were born? That he lighteth every man that cometh into the world so that you could understand the aspect of the gospel so that people, no matter where they are in this world, whether they're in a jungle or in a city, they can somehow uh, figure it out that this probably isn't a right thing to do. And that's not because of them or their base nature. That's because of the light that God has put into their soul at their creation imagine what you would be like if he gave you no light none that understandeth none that seeketh all gone out of the way see even the ability you had as a child to hear the gospel and to believe it was a gift of god Because in the curse of mankind, you were as bad as you could possibly be. And there was no redemption except for the fact that God said, I don't want you to go to hell. 
So he gave you the ability to see. And that's why through a series of rejecting righteousness and searing the conscience that God can back away from a sinner and say, I give you over. And that's why what you're seeing out there today in some of these wicked people, you're seeing you without God. That's what you're seeing. So next time, instead of saying, oh, let's just judge them, just remember, that's you. What do they need? That's the way we got to think. Amen? Because for me, to just simply want judgment without saying, you know what, Lord? That's by the grace of God, that would have been me. I just made a couple of good choices with a little light that you gave me, that little thumbprint on my soul, that little ability to understand the truth. I don't think we understand how bad we would be in our lost state. And that's why sometimes we proclaim our own goodness. It's never been our own goodness. (laughs) Never. Our corruption, our curse, this is what it is. Feet that are swift to shed blood. Throats with an open sepulcher. Poison under the lips. Their ways, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Can you imagine that? You wouldn't even be able to understand peace. You wouldn't even want peace. You want chaos. You're used to chaos. 100% self. Wow. People are naturally miserable. (laughs) And will naturally destroy. That's our base nature. That's why I tell people in marriages, you got to put Christ at the center. How many marriages continue in a state of misery? Because Christ isn't in there. That's just a normal thing. It's a normal thing for a lost, corrupt person to have a miserable marriage. But it's absolutely abnormal for a born-again new creature to live in a state of misery. Amen? Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It says the way of peace they have not known. That's why today they get together their little government meetings. They think they've really accomplished something. Well, we've really, you know, we've crossed a little bridge here today and we've gotten a little bit further. I've, I've been hearing that since I was a teenager. On the news, oh yeah, you know, we had a good peace talk, and, we had, and yet there's still no peace. And, and you, 10 years later, oh yeah, we had a good meeting, and, and still no peace, and there's no peace, and there, there's no peace. And you say, well, these two kind of, well, we'll get them getting along. No, you won't. No, you won't. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. You want peace? Christ is peace. My peace I give unto you. Amen. There's no fear of God before their eyes. It's a mark of this last generation for sure. They don't fear God. And if you wouldn't have Christ in you, you wouldn't fear God. And if you would be in your base nature with no light in you, you would have no fear of God. That's why they can just accuse God. And that's why they can mock God. That's why they can blaspheme God. Because there's no fear of God. They don't believe what God says is true. Christian, do you? See, then you would fear God. If you believe the Bible is true, you'll fear Him. 
For God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, if you feared God, every seed that would, you'd put on the ground, you'd be sure it was the right kind of seed. You wouldn't just be out there, well, I don't care anymore. <laughs> you just don't fear God. Because even though you feel like everybody hates you and nobody loves you, even in that state, as you throw those filthy seeds on the ground, God will still make you harvest it. And just because you think you're the victim <laughs> doesn't mean God is, oh, well, you poor. See, God's not going to stroke you in your misery because your misery is because you're rejecting God. Amen? God doesn't stroke you in that, in your self-pity. He'll come and comfort you as you suffer for him. As you're afflicted and as you go through trials because of your stand for the Lord, he will come and he'll be like a shepherd and embrace his little lamb. But those of us that are victims, we're running around that everybody did us wrong and, oh no, it's just not fair and so are the Lord's like that. All these seeds you're sowing, just because you think you're the victim, don't you think that you're not going to have to harvest that? Amen? So fearing God is knowing that. Is knowing that even in my foolish behavior, God's not going to wink at this, and so I better behave myself and do the right thing because every seed I put into the ground is going to come back a little later. Amen? So sow good seed. That's why the Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. Amen? Anyways, man, let's bow our heads. We'll get to our next point next time. Like I said before, this message is really geared towards a lost man it's geared towards someone that does not have christ in them but it also it reveals to the christian what you really are if it wouldn't be for jesus in you you need to understand even when you were born as a baby you weren't as bad as you could have been and that's only because of god it's because he lighted you. <laughs> he lighted every man. He gave you the ability to understand the truth so that when the gospel was presented to you, that you received it. For that, he needs glory. So never can you say and proclaim your own goodness, ever. And maybe you have a tendency of glorifying yourself. And thinking there's something in you, and there isn't. Maybe you've never found yourself alone in your room or in a quiet place expressing the truth. Dear God, I am nothing without you. And if that were true, you would fear him, you would obey him, you would love him, you wouldn't be a critic. You wouldn't be bitter. You wouldn't be playing with sin. All those things are an expression that you think you're good. <clears throat>